Hello, welcome back to Software Podcast. Place tonight, got two usual men back in studio. Summer tours, rugby's back, so two usuals are back. Zach and Harvey. How are we, boys? Zach, you're looking well in your recording, please. Uh, you're repping the bandsiders, and Harvey, you're looking well. If you're washing in the background, very good. Uh, that's actually your washing right there. I'll let you know. That's um, your Liverpool top, not my one. So, yeah, there like you go. Top. No, I'm pretty sure they. Uh, that might be my sock. Sorry for the listeners. You're not going to have a clue what I'm going to buy here, but I, that's, I think that's my sock. That might be your sock. These are all your things. But hey. <laughs> that's the life of top quality studios, but um, we'll get on to the ruggers. <laughs> Summer tests. Um, an interesting one, Zach. We were chatting to Peter Bracken last week. Seems to have gone on pretty well. Everyone was interested. We really hyped up Ireland and stuff. And we didn't really hype up. We still were a bit scared. Scrum and stuff. And yeah. Scrum got pretty much not dismantled, but uh, enforced. New Zealand definitely had the upper hand there. And yeah, heavy. 42-19. We'll start with Ireland. You wake up Saturday morning. You put the TV on. You get ready. And yeah, did go as planned. First of all, I'd like to start with selection. A few injuries and stuff. A lot of people are saying that Andy Farrell choose to bring 40 men for this tour because he wanted 40 men because he wanted to make it as World Cup realistic so you you have a smaller squad and you're away and there's more responsibility in every player and every player's going to play a game that type of vibe but already they've have I think three, three players have flown out to replace injured players Stuart McCluskey's on his way mm-hmm. you know there's, there's a few others um, do you think Farrell has got that part of it wrong and I know it's very harsh just to lay that on Farrell. I know logistically maybe there's only a certain amount of players he can get but from my experiences with Warren Gatlin, if you want to take one more, you can. Do you remember when the Lions was announced and Gatlin just added an extra guy on because he needed him? Tom Cook was on holidays visiting family in Australia and got a cap against like the Brumbies or something. But yeah, should, should Farrell taking more men because like Stuart McCluskey you know, it takes a while to come out and get up with pace of the tour and stuff whereas if you're already out there and especially with the time of the year as well because you're going to be holidaying aren't you like if you're not there you, you're relaxed like is he told so is he told like a bunch of players like look you're next in line if someone gets injured you're on call <laughs> yeah he, he said he said pretty tour there, there was a standby list and people know the players know um, and injuries are common so at least he feels justified, you know, not having his Big Mac and chips, you know, and working working hard in the gym, waiting for his call-up, and he's, he's got his call-up at the expense of... But madly, Ireland had Michael Bent. Do you remember Michael Bent? He had to warm up on Saturday in case <laughs> there was a prop injury in the warm-up. This was Harvey. Michael Bent uh, retired like a year ago. I think um, New Zealand born, played New Zealand, came over, played for Leinster, got capped by Ireland a couple of times. Actually, uh, scandalous. I'm glad you brought that up. because And actually- obviously, so he's back home now, back in New Zealand, and that was mm. like a prop that they could find locally that could just warm up just in I case. Think- like that sums it up. You need, to have been, you need to have brought more players for that. But that doesn't, that's not an instance that happens at the World Cup. So why is that happening now if he's trying to simulate the World Cup? I understand the premise behind what he's doing. But that doesn't seem like a typical solution ever. Well, like I don't get how. I think the I think one of the bigger problems is is that you you can't. The main injuries here are to, to the front row, and the front well, row. It's freak, it's freak as well. There's just two but, two in one position. Like it's. I think there's multiple aspects. I think one, the front row is a specialist position. You should be bringing you know three four you know, tight heads, three, four hookers and three, four loose heads because it is a specialist position. And if one, as we've seen, one player gets injured, you don't bring it off, the whole thing gets screwed and you have to bring in Michael Bent. <laughs> Which I can't believe. Second of all, I don't get why we're playing the Mario Blacks. Is he, I, I get if you're trying to re- replicate like a World Cup style tour. It's like a warm-up game. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like Mario Black, or Mario Blacks are like you know Romania or Russia or whatever, um, and then obviously you've got your big game against your fellow kind of group member on the Saturday, which is in this case New Zealand. I personally don't get why they're playing the Mario Blacks because it's not. I I just don't get it. I mean, I, I understand giving those boys game time and stuff, 
But as you saw, like you lose all momentum in those sorts of games. We got absolutely battered um, in terms of physically because all blacks were saving because we beat them at Dublin and that was always going to happen. Personally, no other team this year, home nation, apart from Scotland, they played Chile or playing any other midweek games. Personally, I don't get it. I mean, New Zealand down under is attritional enough, three tests. I don't think you need to throw in midday, midweek games. Keith Earls, to be fair to him, had a great game Saturday, played midweek and then played on Saturday. Like, you're asking for trouble. That's my point. But the whole point of the Maris was the likes of your, your fringe players to get an opportunity against top top quality opposition because gotta be honest the likes of I know Kane Tre- Trevor ended up finding himself in the squad on Saturday and got on and had a nice week cameo and he's actually proven he's looks yeah. pretty useful at that level. Um example of a player who once given an opportunity maybe a lot of people think he's not good enough at that level but you raise your game when you're at that level and playing some good rugby at the minute. But yeah the the likes of Kieran Treadwell, Craig Casey, Harry Byrne, James Hume um, even Jimmy O'Brien, Jordan Lomer, uh, Nick Timoney, these type of players who aren't getting in the match day 23, Kieran Frawley, this gives them a chance to play against the proper side and not, no disrespect, the likes of uh, Japan or uh, USA at the Aviva where you stick 30, 40 on them, even like an Argentina. Like this gives them, the Arsenal Argentina, but Argentina have... But, but historically think- not travelled well to Dublin but yeah it gives and, and that's showing they got they got slapped about midweek and those boys would have learned a lot from that you know, think, you- well, like you, sorry I think but the thing is if you're going to play these midweek games especially like a credible opposition well then take it seriously you shouldn't be playing Kieran Frawley at 10 you know like take it take it seriously that's what I'm saying but who it's else? quite it's quite well, contradictory as well, though, because Harry Byrne. Don't play, yeah. don't play Kane Healy. Uh, Harry Byrne, Harry Byrne picked up an injury. Uh, in training. Right, well, then they, but there you go. Then you, there's not enough depth. Not enough depth. But it's contradictory. It, it's all contradictory because if you're trying to simulate a World Cup, you're not going there and just playing your warm-up game and playing all the charity players that aren't going to get on. That's not how you prepare for a World Cup. So why, if he wants to simulate a World Cup, you either do one or the other. You treat it as a summer tour and you just enjoy it and maybe don't think too much about the results as much as you would at a World Cup, for example. You play the kids in the first game so that it's not a waste of a trip for them, apart from the fact they get to go to like a bucket list country. And then they get to go and maybe get involved later down the line in the three tests. That's how you do a summer tour. But then if you're doing a World Cup, if you're doing a World Cup prep, which is what he's trying to do, you don't do that. You don't just play them because they're not going to get on. You, you're there to win. You're there to be the best you can. And you don't do that by eliminating all of your cover, by playing them against the really physical side. I want to kill you. That's like kind of have it come into you. Yeah. But in but, conclusion, bigger squad should have been taken anyway. Let's answer that first question is the conclusion. Bigger, bigger, bigger squad, I think. Bigger squad because they're playing the midweek games. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's it. You're playing the midweek games and bigger... Bring a bigger squad so that Harry Byrne gets in you, no problem. You know, you start Mike Laurie or Billy Burns or something. You know what I mean? I I I there's I don't think the Farley example is fair because Farley can't play 10, Mike Laurie can't play 10, Joey Carberry's there, like they've got plenty of tens. Like the, that that was okay. It's more the props and the specialist positions that they're they're finding issues with. Like imagine you got a scrum half injured, then you're in big trouble. Because um, you might have to get to, like a Joey Carberry covering nine, which he's done before. Um, but on the game itself, uh, Aaron started well, got the blocks fast. Uh, Keith Earls, vintage Keith Earls, finished well in the corner. Any doubters to bed that uh, you give Keith Earls a chance, he will finish, as Harvey loves saying. Um, he's ancient. He is ancient. Like, I remember, like, being Pete. Yeah. Like, he's been around for ages. Um, and he finishes, and he'll always finish. Uh, you give him a chance, but for me, just after that, Ireland just tried to force it a bit too much. Like the conditions wasn't there for what they were trying to do, and and like Sexton went on a loop, and Keenan gave him a short ball, and then a Ringrose should just carried it in, but then Ringrose froze and all froze one, and then Severus goes the length of the pitch. For me, all the mistakes were. It reminded me very much of the Lions twenty seventeen. Few errors, New Zealand New Zealand punished you, but overall 
Ireland had more possession, really, uh, more territory on the whole, and looked looked decent. So I think everything is fixable this week um, in terms of going forward. But I still feel that New Zealand, not that they're got anything to prove because we know New Zealand Eden Park is very good and the fact they're playing two tests at Eden Park which they don't usually do shows that they want to win the series and put down a statement but I just feel that the tries came out of nothing from the All Blacks Artie Savez Evy Reese, like Ireland in terms of if they can get their systems going then it'll work but there's just something about this side that they can't do it outside of the Viva they just can't seem to be able to put perform. I know they did at Twickenham, but that was 14 men. This, in the Farrell, Farrell era, they've struggled to put in a big performance away from home. Yeah, I mean, like, I think, but then at the same time, like, I, I think it's unfair to judge them. Like, they're playing the All Blacks at Eden Park, an All Blacks team that they've just beaten. So, like, the All Blacks are just going to come out and kill you. Uh, no matter what, and that's kind of what they did. Um, but at the same time, I, I think just like Ireland, kind of the biggest. I think the biggest problem Ireland have. I think it's. I think it's unfair to. First of all, I think it's unfair to say they have. They can't do outside the Aviva. I think this week coming, we could maybe start throwing that around. But I think the biggest problem is once Sexton goes off, Ireland just lose their head. They just start doing things that just kind of like you don't usually do that. So stop it, Jameson Gibson Bark. Pick and go, trying to dart through a wee gap at the ruck in their own 22, lose the ball and survey a score. Like, what are they trying to do? Like, oh, I got so angry watching it. Yeah, so you think all that's just the Sexton presence when he goes off, that's why? Well, I mean, like, that that seems to be the common denominator, unless it's something else. But it goes off and they just completely lose their heads. Um, I don't, I don't know, and they just don't do the simple things right. Like you know, you got to give. You can't. I know you want, you're going down there to win, but you have to give the All Blacks credit and the reverence they deserve. They're playing Eden Park, so do the simple things well. Keep the ball. Don't force things. Don't don't try and dart through a gap off the ruck in your own twenty-two. You just clear it. So the I think line, the scoreline wasn't fair too. Like Ricky Yoane, stopped two tries with two try saving interventions like that's 14 points there like that's what I'm saying about there's fixed it's fixable like in a very short period of time a bit like 2017 Lions tour where the Lions lost pretty convincing in the first test and won the second test like they are fixable but it's that start once you go five up you then need to go 12 up because New Zealand scored two quick ones I've never seen them score back to back and then just stop once they get their tails up they're the best in the world at just finishing you off but I think I think there's enough in the performance for me to be confident going into Saturday. I think there was enough there. I think second line scoreline or second half scoreline, take away the first half, it was kind of freakish in a sense, just how everything just fell to New Zealand and New Zealand do what they do best. They'll just punish you if you make a mistake. But there's enough there for me to say, actually, you know what, Saturday away from Eden Park. The All Blacks have got their win against the Ireland now. I don't think they'll be as up for it. They'll obviously be really up for it. They want to win the series. But I think, I think I'm think i confident going into Saturday, especially if Sexton plays. Would, do you think it's a good idea to play Sexton? Or do you think it's better to try someone now? I because think... Sexton's going to have to put together five games in a row before we're going to win the World Cup. So there's going to be and I don't I love the stat when he's played five big games in a row. So realistically, Ireland are going to need someone to play one massive game in Irish rugby history. Um, potentially a quarterfinal where Sexton has to get himself right for the semi or potentially a big group game if Farrell or, or Farrell just puts all his eggs in the Sexton basket. But Joey Carberry, did you see enough from him? I know this is... This is just the classic. We can pre-record these sometimes if you just tell us a result and it's Sexton, Carberry debates and all, but this has been going on for two years now and the fight is still the question. Maybe is that the answer? I think the problem is is that Joey Carberry can't get a run of games. I think that's the biggest problem, is that he needs to be given a run of games in order to really come into his own in the jersey. Did you see what Gareth Gar said about him? Uh, no, Ashley. What did he say? He said Joey Carby's a terrific rugby player, but I don't know. Is he an I half? Hmm, that's interesting. 
I've always thought him? fullback because he played his best rugby for Leinster at fullback because he couldn't play 10 and they managed to find his way into the team of fullback. Remember Wasps European Cup quarterfinal at Davida, like unplayable at fullback. Um, but then the other option then is Harry Bernard came for Ollie. So um, it's going to be Joey. So and I give Joey, I give Joey the start regardless because if Sexton's fit, you bring him on at the end. And well, just talk about starters and finishers. You know, there's something I think Ireland this test is for the second. Genuinely, I believe it is. So maybe you do start Carberry, bring Sexton on. Um, because naturally, like all blacks, they'll just target Sexton. Every team targets Sexton because if you get him and you finish him, then you're pretty much halfway there to finishing off Ireland. But still, I still think there's enough this Saturday. Even if Joey Carberry starts, I think it came on. I think he did. I think he did okay. And then never changes, Sag. Well, I know you know. Team will come out and we'll see if we're right or wrong. But anyone that you want to see more than you feel has to happen, a lot of chat about Mark Hansen coming straight back in, but can he off Keith Earls being rock solid? I mean, Keith Earls, you got to give him the start again. He fully deserves it. Be interesting to see who starts on uh, tomorrow, tomorrow or Wednesday. I don't know when it is. That'll be interesting against the Maris. Who kind of gets a start? Um, and see what Farrell's kind of mind is there. Is this kind of like putting players on to prove themselves for Saturday? But I mean, who knows? But uh, I still think the follow, I think following my, there's, there's no midweek game this week, it's the following week that big are back. So, okay, well, I still think they're there for the tagging. Um, the scoreline does not reflect the Ireland's performance, they had this freakish second quarter where they were just rubbish and the worst I've seen them play and then the other three quarters actually they stood up two to two with the All Blacks and proved yeah, that makes it with the best. So prediction time anyway. Um, I'm going to go with Naru and our defeat in the second test about a good solid performance. I'm going to say 18 12 and then the third test is when the marker gets put down and the New Zealand make a few changes and Ireland win the third test, but now I'm going New Zealand and squeak it out 2-0, but a much closer test match, proper test match footy, which we'll get on to with the South Africa-Wales game, like proper test match. Mm. Well, I'm going to go, I think if there's a test they're going to win, it's this Saturday, because, I mean, New Zealand treat the Eden Park record like um, the most important thing <laughs> in New Zealand as a nation, never mind rugby. So um, I think if there was ever a time to win a test, it's a Saturday. I think, honestly, Ireland should go in confident. Um, and I think that's the message Andy Farrell will be given. So I'm going to say a narrow Ireland win within seven points. Very kind of Lions style, you know. Um. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll chip in. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna side. Yeah, you know, I'll let you guys run with it. Like it's it's your country. You you guys far away. But um. No, I'm gonna. You gonna... also you also didn't watch the game, so yeah, I don't think your insight would be overly insightful. No, it'd be anything bigger picture. You know, the classic just cop out. But anyway, there's a behind the curtain for any listeners. Uh. <laughs> No, I think siding with Telf is probably, I don't think, you know, we've seen it many a time. I've experienced it many a time. Sport is not a romanticist thing in, in many ways. And I think the Eden Park record will will stay true to its to its record. Um, but I think, like Telf said, it'll be a much better showing. It can't get much worse. I don't, like you said, I think overall the game was competitive, but it was always going to be competitive because you're two very good nations. But that 20-minute stint is what is has always been New Zealand's kind of magic card that they always pull out. Um, and I didn't see any evidence on how to stop it. But I think you'll score more, you'll be more open to it. And I think, yeah, it'll be a narrow loss, unfortunately, depending on which way you side. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, we shall wait and see. I'll be waking up early anyway. It is nice. The Eden Park thing, is it that impressive if you don't play there every week? Well, it's what, 25, 26 years or whatever it is. It is pretty impressive. That is really impressive. I mean, you're guaranteed to play, what, 
So <clears throat> off the top of my head, summer tour against the Northern Hemisphere side. Um, factor in the World Cup. Well, there's only been one World Cup, so maybe we'll leave out the World Cup. Um, and then you play South Africa and Australia, so there's like three. And then re more recently, well, actually, there's no guarantee you even play them at Eden Park. Roughly, you're playing three times a year, 28 times three. Say, conservative estimate, maybe 55, 60 times. When you put it like that, it's pretty impressive. I know, but that's what I mean. It, the 28 years thing is very much, it makes it sound like we're talking hundreds upon hundreds of games. We look, we look at, we look at those games they've played. You know, they're playing, they're playing Southern Hemisphere sides who were the best in the in the business at that point. You know, the Wallabies in the late nineties, World Cup winners. Um, even the Wallabies, kind of in that early noughties, where they, you know, World Cup runners up. You look at the Lions. I mean, two thousand five is is a joke, but I mean, twenty seventeen. I mean, they drew. Um, it could have gone, could have gone either way. Um, well, according to this. I've just seen it now. Um, it's 47 games. I don't know if that's including the most recent win or not. Um, but there's a quote from Farrell saying, we're gutted to lose. The island boss said afterwards, you don't get many opportunities to break a record. And it's an outstanding record to stay unbeaten in 47 games at Eden Park. And that was July of this year. So, yeah, pretty impressive. But I do get well, what you get. Well, over then, over then, we go to their nearest and dearest rivals, Australia. Um, Weirdly, a result that I, I didn't predict, but I'd said to Harvey um, during the game, um, Harvey did tune in for this one, uh, that I said during the game, Australia win this. You know, some of those games that you just know, you know, you, you just feel it, red card, Australia oh, yeah. scored, and I just went, yeah, they're winning this, lad, and Harvey kind of knew it too, but... Positives to take, Arv. I'll let you run with it. Um, 30-28, uh, two consolation late tries for England. So, annoyingly, like, you didn't get to that final play with a chance to win the game, but finish strong, can take positives into the next test. A lot more positives than Ireland probably can take into their next test. So, are you feeling positive about that, or are you a bit annoyed? Yeah, yeah, against Australia. You're clearly a better side than Australia. Usually, England beat Australia, obviously. 2016 had a whitewash against Australia. Now they've got kind of one up nine series. And when you go one nil down the series, we know Zach, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Oh, I sorry. Think... Before you begin, sorry. Um, do you think, factoring this into your answer to tell us, just that, like an add on question, do you think it's a fair scoreline? Two colleague consolation tries when Australia knew they were going to win. But factor that in. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's one of those games that, <laughs> in a weird way, is actually quite similar to the Ireland New Zealand game in the sense that it was probably quietly contested, edging one way or the other, and then it was just a flurry of tries. But then weirdly, there was another flurry of tries right at the end, which leveled out the scoreline a lot more. That could have easily been a very a scoreline that resembled the Ireland New Zealand game, and we'd probably be chatting here having a different conversation. But for me, actually, it wasn't that flurry of tries that's worried me it was the first half we were completely dominant in the first half and to go into a halftime drawing having only put six points on the board was frankly embarrassing like and and the thing that concerns me about that is that's the whole thing I was moaning and wishing and wondering about in the Six Nations that we've just that's just passed the thing the problem we've had as England for the last year or two has been we dominate games. We've always dominated games. We've got a very strong pack. We can hold possession well, but we just can't put points on the board. And there was a few, three or four occasions I can name off the top of my head where we were within the five meter line convincingly and just things fell apart. A couple of clutch moments from Hooper to as well, to be fair to him. And, you know, that's, that's 28 points right there. Like, it, and that is almost the difference. And, you know, we'll get on to like South Africa, for example, they don't miss those opportunities and that's how you win games. And that's how you win the clutch games. You know, at that point, you do that in the first half. I think it was two in the first half, two in the second half. You push on, you're out of sight, and this little flurry doesn't happen. And it's just putting points on the board when, because everyone knows it as well. If you've gone through a purple patch and they come, it's like, what's the common phrase everyone says when they watch rugby? If you're a man down, you've just had a sim bin or whatever, and the opposite team goes for posts after knocking on your door for the whole thing, you're like, yeah, take the three, reset. And it's almost a mini victory for you. Although you've just gone behind or you've just conceded points, 
you take it as like a yeah right great we can we can work with that and that felt like that's what it felt like we were doing to australia for the first 40 minutes we were just knocking on the door and then kind of run away and we weren't ever like just pushing through it penetrating through it and it was just it was really frustrating to be honest um for me i don't know where it comes from i don't you know i'm not a, i'm not a rugby coach for obvious reasons but i was i know tell said it during the game that those wingers are our wingers and i think they were a lot more promising than what we witnessed in six nations but and I don't want to bring up the 10-12 combo, but maybe it is that. Maybe it's just a confusion. I think one thing that popped in my mind, which I think led to a lot of our downfall downfall and losing possession, is when you watch Marcus Smith play for Harlequins, he'll run with it just as much as he passes it and kicks it. Whereas when England play, and when England play with Farrell, Farrell and forward, they don't run with the ball. They're either they're, they're making plays, they're setting up plays, you know, they're passing it or they're kicking it. But you never really have to offer them support in any way physically, like they're going to go into contact, because unless there's a like massive pressure and a really fast defensive line from the opposition, they're not going to make contact. Like they're not the ones going into the ruck. Whereas Mark Smith on countless occasions, and this is just the way he plays, and Harlequins are used to it, the forwards are used to it, and they're alert to it. But I think there was two or three times where he got the ball, went for a little hick step, which is, you know, I want him to have license to do that. I don't want him to just become a cog in a machine because that's why he's here and George and George Ford's not. But you you have to then support him. You have to be live to it. And I feel like our forwards aren't because they're just used to a different style of 10 or 12 or whatever you want to say. And yeah, I just think there's that that still needs to gel. And I really want him to not get scared of that and still have complete license to just do his creative stuff and then let Farrell be the kind of cog that we all know he's so good at doing. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's still, there's a lot of blending that needs doing, I think, still. I think there's a lot of gelling still. Um, a lot of the forwards are just very used to a different style of play, unless you're from Harlequins, which there wasn't much representation there. So, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be live to that. And I think that's the root cause of a lot of it because that stifles possession. That, you know, he's never going to make dominant contact. You can't expect him to, you know, the guy weighs, 10 stone dripping at least doesn't weigh 10 stone but he's you know what i mean in comparison to the players that he's going into contact with he's never gonna push them back or you know create time or delay any kind of ruck forming because look at the kid uh, but i don't know it's it's it, i think that's the root of it all and you know the ball didn't get out wide fast enough and you've seen towards the end of the game what happens when you can get the ball out wide especially when you've got you know henry arundel who i'm sure will do a good chat on to literally, yeah, I don't know. It's just, for me, that was the concerning part of it all. It wasn't so much the defence or, you know, their flurry of tries, because I feel like that can happen in any game, particularly when you're playing at home. Um, you know, crowd get behind you and those things happen. Um, start time as well. How many times do you think Joe Marchant touched the ball in attack? Like four times. Let me just confirm it here. I think it was eighth, but I'll just confirm. Um, but on that, like little things like that, um, that just six attacking touches for Joe Marchant, two of them in the 78th minute. Exactly. And you know how well, you know what he's like when he's got the ball in his, when he's in his hand. The guy's lightning and that's why he's in that position. But it, it, once again, it was just same story, broken record. But I don't feel like we're getting the ball wide enough. And it wasn't like it was under; it was down to pressure from Australia. I don't think their defence was anything extraordinary. I think it was just fiddling, faddling on the ball. It was not really knowing the plays, kicking when we shouldn't have kicked. There was a couple. There was that one moment when I think Australia were on the back foot turf. We were watching it around the halfway line, which we love to just send up a bomb from the halfway line. I don't know why half the time. Maybe when you're backtracking, fair enough, or you've run out of you know phases to work with. But then. He just it's just loss of possession and there was no real pressure from Australia. And yeah. I think we lost the ball off that. And it's I, just I, yeah, I'm not gonna sit here and say England aren't gonna walk up and all because Eddie Jones just plans for one game every four years, uh, which is dangerous. And as he as in the past with Eddie Jones squads, he's he's gotten close, but he's never actually won a World Cup. So it's extremely dangerous position to put himself in the fact that he doesn't look at, you know. Six Nations and Autumn Internationals and Summer Tests, maybe as other coaches would. And Aaron's problem is maybe they pay too much attention to them. But I, I don't, I believe you can be the best team all year round. You just always be the best, like the All Blacks and then win World Cups. Like that's like there's there's no denying that Eddie Jones does hold things back. He tells boys to kick a bit more than they should. He holds plays back, he holds everything back and then unleashes 
maybe the end of the Six Nations and the warm-up games. But as a fan, is it a bit frustrating when you see a lack of creativity, when you see when Harry Arundel and stuff come on, the talent that's there, like Joe Marchant's little flick on, to, and then Freddie Stewart put them down the wing. Like When they play a bit, they can play. So the first 40 and stuff where it is just... Marcus Smith kicking and Farrell kicking. Like, I haven't seen Marcus Smith get on the outside arc and just sending through, like, little grubbers in behind. It's like, ah, just have a cut. You know what I mean? You, you've got on the outside shoulder there. Just have a cut. But it does seem to be, again, just a obsession with kicking. But it, it's it's not only kicking, is it? It's a, they're all, it's regimented phase play. Like, they, that's just the way Eddie's always run his teams. And I think he's, he's got stuck between a rock and a hard place because we've got, no exaggeration, a generational talent who's come through at 10. And, you know, we, there's England, and we've talked about this countless times with players like Sam Simmons, who we've sat here and banged down and banged on about how they're not getting selected for England. And for a long time, you know, Eddie's been at the helm for a long time now. He's held off pressure to put players into the team. But when you get to a player like Mike Smith, you honestly would get sacked if you just completely ignored him. That's the level he's at compared to the other players that we're on about. And when he's in such an influential position like 10, you then have to create this system to work around him, which I think is what he's doing. And I think it will come to fruition. But because of the way Marcus Smith is, he's not just like this cog in the machine. He never will be. It takes time. It takes a lot of time to gel. And sometimes it will never gel. You'd never know, do you? Especially if everything else around him, particularly the back, starts mixing up as well over the next couple of years. It's it's a it's a real ballsy play. It's a real chance play. Um, it's about free, which is funny because, you know, we chat about a guy who's free-flowing rugby and Eddie Jones is all about regimented, you know, cogs and machine rugby. But there is a way they can gel together. There is a way that that works. They both work together. Um, but it's going to take a lot. And I think you can start to see the signs of it, but I'm talking like 1% to 2%, improvement, and we need 10 to 15% improvement every few games at this rate. If we want to get to the level we need to be at by the time the World Cup comes around. Yeah, well, interesting, Danny Kerzak. What do you think about that? That that for me tells you that he's trying to make everything as comfortable for Marcus Smith as he can. So the yeah, fact he's I, putting Danny Kerr, uh, I'm surprised he's not tried to sneak in Esther Hazen at twelve. Uh, yeah, I, I, I never got caught for South Africa, but I get, you know. I do get the Danny Kerr because like your chemistry between halfbacks sometimes is the most important, um, the most important partnership in the pitch. You know, I look back to our school days, me and my Leiden, for example, or <laughs> or whatever. But you look at when when Ireland, okay, in the Eddie O'Sullivan era, when it was getting all weird and stuff, um, you'd string in O'Gara, the play week in, week out for Munster and won the European Cups together, et cetera, et cetera. So I, th- I do get the Danny Kerr. I think it makes sense. I think if you have a world-class talent or however you put it, once in a generational talent, Marcus Smith, you want to accommodate that as much as possible. So it makes sense to play Danny Kerr. Who... In his own right, is a fantastic scrum half who has a wise head and his shoulders and could be playing some of his best rugby ever. I think he's from roughly looking at his YouTube stuff. I think he's enjoying the most, enjoying rugby the most he's ever been in his career. Um, but but like, Vince Burgers, are you chatting the one of Courtney Laws, the teammates one? Uh, uh, it, was, like, it was good. He's in golfer as well. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> golfer. <laughs> But like I think, but besides of it, like England need a like need to turn it around immediately. That's the kind of obviously like the press is one thing, but actually what happens in the RFU is another thing. But like the 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 narrative kind of coming out of the English press is like England need to turn it around next week or else we're in big big trouble. Um, so do you think if England have a whitewashed tour, do you think they're still they'll still stick with Eddie? And Harv, remember what I told you about I said to Harv, they've won, what was it, two in the last eight? Like, or two in the last six? England have had four defeats in six tests this year. They've only won four away tests since the World Cup. Two in Italy, one in Scotland, and one against Wales at uh, Parky Scarlets. So it doesn't really count. It's COVID. Yeah, no. um, Not a lot. That's that's huge, Zach. But then we were just talking about Ireland, maybe not having a big away win as well. So it's coming, coming across most nations. But no, England's record just for England is simply not good enough. So yeah, or a whitewash. Do you say? But yeah, it's 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 like you said though. I I when you say those things, they don't necessarily make me cringe because I think as much as you might hate it, tell you know 
I'm here for cycles like and you peak at the right time and you peak when you need to peak um that's how you get past quarters but and right now they're going down they're not going up no I think I think we've plateaued at the bottom but I think we've plateaued <laughs> I think no I, I don't know I don't think it's all like red alert all systems go but don't get me wrong if we if we don't even come close to winning in the next two tests and then it's a, like you said a whitewash and and we've been battered. It's particularly if we get battered in one of the games, it's going to be it's going to be tough to argue for Eddie's case. Really, there'll definitely be chats, won't there? There'll be meetings and stuff like they did last time, and inquests and all the bureaucratic crap they want to say. But realistically, I think he'll be under a head of a lot of pressure if he doesn't get at least one result over in Australia. And I think we should be still winning the Test series. I still think I we definitely say that you still have, win the you Test series. Be, you, you you should be winning England with that squad. Should be and you yeah, can't I'm, deny. Like, don't get, like, like, Australia's squad is not good. Australia are a squad who are in transition, who are looking to their home World Cup in five years' time. You know, like, these guys, it's not like Australia are a really good team. Like, you'd have the All Blacks, South Africa, probably Ireland, Wales, before you'd even put Australia down there. Like, so Australia is, they're not, that's another thing you got to remember, because I think, you know, you say Australia, you say the Wallabies, and you automatically think, well, top three side in the world they're really not yeah it's it, i was chatting about this earlier though it kind of goes the other way as well though because i always associate them with the two other major southern hemisphere teams and because the other two teams are you know new, new zealand about a wobble but after that win against ireland and we know what south africa are like they do sometimes probably get put in a lower pecking order than maybe what they deserve i th- don't get me wrong they're no beast compared to south africa and new zealand at the moment anyway and you are right, the squad's in transition, but there's still no mugs. Like they're they're a lot better than a lot of the other teams in tier one or whatever you want to say. So, um, but it, that doesn't that's no excuse. Like we still should be winning the test series, in my opinion. Um, I don't think oh, being Scotland, away. Scotland twenty seventeen, yeah. Scotland twenty seventeen with like the Lions players went over and won a test in Australia. Like yeah. it, it's not as fortressy as other Eden Park teams. Yeah. <laughs> Anywhere in anywhere in South Africa. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> but, or who do you want who do you want to see then in terms of um yeah, who who do you want to be given the green light to this test or are you just going on well, change? You know, the big top the, uh, is we, we know Storm, or do you just chuck them on a bit earlier? Like or do you just give them full license? Because I thought both wingers played well, so uh yeah, no, I think you play them. I think you have to. Um Ultimately, it's a test series. Like you just get on with it. I don't think you can hesitate. I know that everyone's a bit not nervous, but I suppose preempted on. You don't want to just rush them straight in, but on you know, on the other hand, you got to ride the wave. Like this guy's on lightning form. If the rumors are true about that one to try in training, which got him even on the bench in the first time, first place, you know, you think how the stars are just aligned for him. He goes there as a development player. There's an injury, there's a COVID case <laughs> in the safe country. I'm not going to get political about that, but yeah, anyway. And then he, and then he, you know, he starts to get put in contention, runs the pitch, comes on, first touch, scores a try and bounces to Australian players. And then second touch nearly scores again. Like, the stars have aligned and you have to keep, you can't just suddenly put an end to that. You have to ride the wave and it, it's a, it's an experiment. It's a test. It's a, it's a chance, but no, nah, you have to play him. Like you have to play him. Um, who he replaces. I think, I think you replace Cockan just so you've got that more experience and someone who can get more involved in the general play in Jack Noll. I don't think he's as good of a winger potentially, but I think he actually had some good moments in the first test. Um, he had some nice lines to be fair. He just, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think you do that, and then other other changes wise. Obviously, I think Ludlam's going to come in because Curry's got concussion. So, and Ludlam was like a bat out of hell for the first twenty minutes, and then kind of tailed off towards the end. And I think that was probably just more emotion than anything. He seems like quite an emotional player from what I've seen, but he's a certain, certainly a good flanker. Like you can do the job. So, I'm not really got any concerns. And controversially, I'm <laughs> I'm. I'm umming and ahhing about Curry, which is probably a completely other question and debate. But like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's a, a conversation we can chat about later down in the test series. Obviously, well, I know what you mean anymore, because but... because we put that. Uh, the my pet here is everyone chucking a generational talent tag on every player who's decent when they're young. 
But a generational talent means there's one in a generation. So you can't have Smith and Curry as generational talents because then you have two generational talents in the one generation. I don't know. Uh, I, uh, I also think as well his his game as an all rounder compared to the likes of um, Josh Van der Fleer, Ardi Savea, if you want to put him in at seven as well, he's nowhere near as good offensively. Like he's cracking defensively, and his jackal threat is obviously well known. Like that's probably one of the most one of the things he's most well known for. But I think when you're going to play, particularly like we do, when you play like this five and a half in Courtney Laws in six, who's not a ball carrier but can do a lot of the other stuff, and then you're going to play Billy at eight. Everyone just looks to Billy to as a forward who can carry. You need another option there, um, and seven well, is probably where yeah. that that spot lies. Was was Artie Save, uh, Josh Van der Fleer, uh, Pocock, Hooper, all these guys? Uh, he's just turned twenty four there in June. Were they doing it this young? Uh, is Curry just classic? You know, is it the classic? Yeah, he's been in the he's been in the he's been in the fray it, for like three years. Been, and you forget how young he's good. <laughs> At the end of the day, he's just been decent at test level, but we're expecting him to be jaw-droppingly good. Like, when he made his line break there, he's a bit hesitant and then threw a kind of loopy ball out wide. Like, we want him to be doing an Ardley Savvy and stepping the fullback and dinking him and gathering and going over. But, no, I know what you mean, Arv, and I always say, like, these young players, like, Arundel, you got to ride the wave now. But like Zamet, ride the wave, and Zamet had his dip, and we'll get on to the game now, but has clearly bounced back, so... Just let them get on. You let them do the journey of a rugby player, and that's ups and downs. Every player has ups and downs, and the ones that we think about, your Brian O'Driscolls and all that we grew up, we thought they were greats. We didn't watch them early on in their career because we weren't we were weren't born. So, um, well, we were born, but we were extremely young. So in the early two thousand, so we don't know when they had their dips. But you cannot play nine out of ten every week. It is physically impossible. And Curry maybe is just going through a bit of a transition where he's just struggling to impose himself on a game like he used to when he was raw, hungry, and burst onto the scene. And just a little side question, Zach. Uh, Bernard Jackman put a very good piece out about how Ireland's lack of trust in young players may hinder their depth going into the World Cup. And the last major to play for Ireland was Luke Fitzgerald in 2006. Is that a problem? Because I look at boys like Harry Arundel and I, I watch Zamets and I just want Ireland just to, if there's a little kid that's looking good for Munster or Leinster, just, just push them on. And then the day, Arundel has probably played a handful of professional games and now he's, we're chatting about him starting a test. Like, you don't have to always do the big, you know, under-19s, under-20s, couple academy games, in and out well, for your province, start for your province. You look at, you look at, Maybe it depends on the position because Marcus Smith was coming through eighteen nineteen and he and he really was like he was he was turning up not every week for Harlequins, but he he was he was a you could tell then he was a generational talent. But it's taken him a number of years to actually come in to where enough he's still extremely young. So I mean it's maybe it's not just I don't think you know England do it all the time, but I think with Ireland, yes. I mean Johnny Sack, like you look at the you look at the fly half situation. I mean, like say no more. Um, as much as Johnny Saxton is incredible and to where I could see him having an absolute worldie this week. Yeah, it is a problem. It is a massive problem. Um I don't even want time, like teenagers, it's just like Below twenty three. Name, name me, name me someone other than um Arundel or I don't, know, I don't actually know how you say his name. Um, name me other kind of teenagers that have been given or young oh, players. Curry. Given. Curry, Curry, okay. They've uh, got to the top, Jessup. <laughs> <laughs> no, like in the Premiership, there's a ton. There's so many. Pretty sure, like the ones, the big ones would be in the recent but, but, years. But then Curry. here's the key: it's because do you not think though it's because they're actually getting game time in the Premiership, well enough game time to justify an international. It's it, it, it's relating back to the fourteen teams that they can yeah, come from. It's relating back to the the debate we've had before, where there's just not enough exposure in Ireland, like, and that's just down to the way the structure is. Like, there's only sixty players on. Well, if you want to count the. Subs, what's that? Like 92 players on showcase every week as, as the tops. I don't know if that's off the top of my head. I think that's you? right. Um, no, no, 92. You're all right. Four, yeah, yeah. If if every sub is used. So 
whereas I don't, I'm not going to do the maths for the Premiership, but it's a lot more. Um, and but like someone like Craig Casey was someone who you seen burst onto the scene and then just couldn't get beyond Conor Murray, a monster, and then just just is kind of not stalled. He's still international quality, but he's still not getting in test 23s at this stage, and he's you know 22 at this stage. So. Yeah, I, I like just in general, I'd like to see more young Irish talent being being pushed on a bit quicker. Joe McCarthy is one, to be fair, who's made his test de- his um provincial debut for Leinster in January, and now he's he was playing against the Marys there, like the massive second row. But that's probably because he's a bit abnormal and they want to kind of fast track him. But I don't I don't see a problem with fast tracking as long as it's the right player. And I think I it's, it's it comes back to the topic, like it comes back to the idea of nurturing young players. I think some young players, when you put them in, they thrive. Tom Curry is a good example. George North, like George North was yeah. young, like he was young. He was like 19 playing like a World Cup semi-final. Um, but he, he thrived. And you know, with minus injuries, he's probably up there with Alwyn Jones in terms of test caps. Um, so it, I, it really I, does depend on the player, doesn't it? I always think as well though it's just obviously it's a slight exemption with nine with nine and ten in particular, but outside of that on the, across the rest of the field, like like Freddie Stewart at twenty six foot five and seventeen stone, like he's as big as he's ever gonna be. Like physically, there's no threat to him. I know everyone will be like he's a younger guy and stuff, but if you actually match him up, he's bigger than pretty much every fifteen in the Premiership. Like he's <laughs> and it doesn't matter about his age. And Henry Arundel has got thighs the size of Manu Tuolangi when he was the same age. Like, I'm not even joking or exaggerating here. Like, the guy, and maybe they're the few that just get, you know, and can push right the way to international level because physically they are there. And if if the case is there in Ireland, they, there should be no bubble wrapping whatsoever. You bubble wrap your 36-year-old. You don't bubble wrap a 19-year-old who's pushing around. You know, obviously we can't see the training, but who's pushing around senior rugby players. Like, for example, a 20-year-old comes through and out scrums Keen Healy. Play him. I don't know if there's an example, but I'm sure there's been in the kit in previous times or in any example across the entire field there. Like, just play them. Because that's the only ever concern when they're a kid is either their confidence or their physicality. But I'm not being funny. If you're getting put on for debuts for your province and then potentially your country, you don't have to worry about confidence because you beat, you're in the light for a reason. And then physically, you'll know that, obviously, by, by just knowing them. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't see why else you can't play them. Yeah, Eddie, like he's 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 done a few now in his time, so no, it's an interesting narrative to have, and definitely the the club situation is is a factor. But yeah, I just think you never know. Like opportunities are there. Like Ireland know what they're gonna get from the likes of Conor Murray and Sexton. Did they even need to go on this tour? Could you have brought a Nathan Doak down? Do you know what I mean? That type of vibe. But then I would, brought, I would have brought Nathan Doak to play the Maris. I don't actually know. I don't know why Nathan Doak wasn't brought to. Because they're there, like the young twenty-year-old talents, like the like Kendlin a monster is an incredible back rower. Again, yeah. only twenty, and I he was class against Toulouse. A few injuries he got in, but yeah, no, it's interesting. The the young talents there in Ireland, but um, definitely stole. But sorry, Harvey, we took over England again for Ireland as we always do. But prediction time. No, but it's a second. similar. Yeah, no, it's relatable. Um, prediction time anyway and you want to see your Arundel in there you want to see him ripping it up go on Arundel hat trick um, nah double don't give him the whole lot like I said sport isn't romantic um, nah, I think I think he gets I think he gets at least one one or two like um, I think we win we have to win you know, if you go 2-0 down in Australia that's just not acceptable I'm sorry so you have to win I'm not going to accept anything else um, 27-15 there you go. Pluck a number out of the sky. That's what I'm going to go for. There you go. Um, I'm think Arundel comes off the bench. I think he comes off the bench. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just feel like <laughs> I really want the Wallabies to win just because I think it could be good for England long term, genuinely. Just thrown out there, um, but yeah, I, I genuinely think that I think the Wallabies will win. I think they smell blood and they will go in for the kill. Yeah, I agree with Zach. I'm gonna ten, ten point Wallaby win, twenty points to ten. Arundel on the bench and gets ten minutes at the end because at the same time you, you kind of need to protect sometimes these kids because 
we don't know what he's like in terms of in the air and stuff. Could Corbetti absolutely destroy him potentially? But Jack Noll got destroyed anyway, so who cares? Just go with it. <laughs> if you're going to experiment anywhere, experiment on the wing. That's what that's I where you can. To be fair, all the examples we've given there are young wingers. Like they, they yeah. do just stand out there and score tries. So not that it's easy. We all <laughs> to do it, but um, yeah, less physical demand anyway because uh, you're in more space. But anyway, it's, uh, the, the one nation that we didn't talk about kind of in, in builds up and stuff is Wales because at a poor six nations lost against Italy. And everyone was chatting about Ireland beating the All Blacks and Eden Park and putting down a statement that was potentially one phase for the World Cup. England having to have a big series win against an Australia team, which was underperforming in November. And everyone just went, ah, South Africa 3 0, Wales are nothing. But fair play to Wales. And Harvey, you always say it there's just something about Wales in the DNA. We chill off culture on this pod, but they're just, yeah, you can never beat Wales easily put it that way, and they came down South Africa, they made it two early tries, they made South Africa turn the sleeves up and put in a vintage South Africa performance. Um, Louis Zama, we chatted about him before, bounced back well from getting dropped for Cuthbert and Six Nations, two lightning tries, full of confidence, but yeah, uh, can you blame Wales? Can you blame Wales for not closing out or I watched it. Um, I, I, I did watch it um, while, I mean, kind of working. But anyway, um, at the beach, if any employers is not But no, um, no, I think you can blend wheels. I think wheels threw it away. I think, um, I mean, there's two sides to it. I think South Africa closed it out. I think South Africa nearly bottled it in places. I mean, like 79 minutes to go on the clock or something, and DLND decides to just kick it out <laughs> when you have all the momentum and all the pressure. Uh, what are you doing? No, I think Wales balled it. I think their discipline really let them down. I think they know that too, just from kind of seeing the media coverage and how they've been chatting. I think they are absolutely gutted because beating South Africa in South Africa was there for the taking, and they balled it. So one thing Wales have never done is big win against the Southern Hemisphere team like proper like I know they've, they've obviously if they ever done that maybe beat Australia and stuff but like not like they haven't they've never done it like I know Ireland and had a few big wins against the All Blacks obviously England um, but in general no one's had a big since 03 no one's had a big like proper series win England went down to New Zealand in 03 and won the, won the series down there like that is incredible. And if South Africa went one up, or if Wales went one up down in South Africa, they were on for history. Even one win was history because they never won in South Africa. But no, in, in a, a valiant effort. But is that disrespectful, are we, to Wales? Valiant efforts. Should they be winning those games? You know, I don't know. I was, I was looking at it from the. I, I kind of I wasn't watching the game exactly, but I was keeping up with it. And I remember seeing the scoreline at halftime and just thinking, like a, you just see South Africa coming back. And I think what epitomizes it perfectly is Sukalisi's post match on the pitch. Um, and he literally just put it as simple as how South Africa play. And unless someone finds a way to directly counter them, you won't beat them consistently anyway. You can scout them once or twice, but you're not going to beat them across a long run. And he literally just was like, Yeah, they had our moles going in the first half. And then the ours started working in the second half. And the reason for that is because they're as much as we don't want to just belittle them down to, you know, they're probably the greatest side in the world right now. I don't want to belittle them down to just one simple tactic, but realistically, they are just undeniably better physically on set pieces and in malls and in rucks and retaining possession and everything else as any other side is in the world. And when they get it going, like he said, and when the when the cogs start turning, the wheel starts rolling. You cannot stop them. You cannot stop them. They're so it's it's not even just the physicality, it's the regimentedness of them. It's it's like clockwork every time, and it just works. It just works. And it's you know, and you could just see that they're always going to get a few of them in the game. And once that happens, you know, the momentum levels and you lose, you know, and <laughs> the only way you're going to beat them is if what Zamit did, you do that twice more, or you do it once more, and you just have to keep doing that. And but that doesn't happen in 80 minutes, it's very, very rare. Do you think it's yeah. a bit like a, a bit like a Tyson Fury? Like you have to rip the head off, or they're always going to get back up off that ground. Like yeah. unless you kill them, 
South Africa are never out of it. It's but just, yeah. it, it's honestly bonkers. I don't get it. I don't, they're a side built off foundations that I don't think any other country in the world has with everything going on and just the way that they are and the culture and the just the power and togetherness of them. I don't think anyone else could even muster that kind of drive and determination every single game that they have. They seem to, they never seem to run it. We've said this before, they never seem to just batter anyone like 60 nil. Every game, they just seem to love the grind. They might end up running away with it when they're playing some of the lower end teams, but there's always a period in the game where they just have that like 20 minutes of grit and that's what gets them up for it. It's like it's like a fury. Like they have to be knocked down once just to wake up and then be like, right, here we go. And then just go and batter you. That's the way they play. And they enjoy the fight. They enjoy it. They enjoy yeah. the grind. Um, no, I never like seeing Shersman and Four Flyers, like, yeah, you're a decent mate, forgot about you. After Clerk <laughs> buzzing around, uh, Willie LaRue rolling back the years, letting everyone know that I'm still decent. Uh, well, that, think... that, that team's going to be there, thereabouts again. That's what Saturday let me know that they're, yeah, they're going to be. That team hasn't really changed since the World Cup. The World Cup wasn't an aging team, other than the Beast. They didn't really lose anyone from the World Cup. Um, so they're. That they're going to be there, thereabouts. Oh, like if you can win big games and you know how to win big games, you're going to be there, thereabouts. Well, I think um, I think for we like for South Africa, it's the great teams win when they're not playing well because Wales brought like I think Wales did what you have to do when you go to South Africa is you have to be big up front, you have to be really physical, and you have to match their grind, and that's kind of what Wales did. They were physical. Um, and they kept going out to the very end, even 13 men going up the pitch and scoring off a driving mall. But um, great teams win when they're not playing well. And, you know, Faster Clerk, for all his credit, still made some really rookie errors, kicking box kicking out in the full a couple of times. Um, DLN, they kind of just kind of having brain fart moments and to still come out with the win um, while Wales probably playing the best performance they've had in you know since last year's six nations finding uh, match winners that aren't meant to be their match winners it's just like you just have the trust like they could yeah. have they could if i was in the camp for that week and they're like top you're on this penalty to win the game like playing for south africa we win these i'm like all right i'll just nail it over like that that's that's the type of culture they have but yeah i mean for me i think going forward for wheels i just think you know it, it's gut wrenching for them and you could see it in the body language after the game. Just they were absolutely devastated. Um, Wimpy back and Dan Bigger. I can't see Wales just producing another performance like that. I think that was your one performance to win because you can't. I don't think you can repeat that physicality again next week or this week. I mean, no, so. my yeah, for on prediction, a big South Africa win by 15, yeah. 20 points. But Wales think- will always prove us wrong, and that's what they do. And shout out to George North as well, just Lukey, yeah. just. Slipping back in the first thing after a year out playing class. Yeah, I completely forgot he's back. Generational talent. Mm. <laughs> caps. Uh, I think he's. Yeah, I think you are right. Like he's just. They'll be dejected after that, and I think unless South have a real off day, I can't see Wales even getting close. To be honest, but like you said, they prove us wrong time and time again. Go out there, get a win, make it the best series of the lot. Because it easily could be that was the advertisement for it all right there. Like it was, it was an incredible game. So, yeah. I would also like to caveat my statement that he deserves more caps. Um, George North has 102 caps, and including his British and Irish Lions, he has three. So, uh, three more. So that's 105 altogether, and he's 30. So he can probably do another four years. Yeah, so he just had a year out. Like you just missed. Yeah. <laughs> so I take it back. That's a crazy like. That is mental. Anyway, complete side note, but there you go. I feel like I remember. I remember when he broke on them being in primary school and working out with Christy how many caps he's gonna get if he plays every year. And I, we worked out that he was gonna hit a hundred in in his twenties. We're like, wow. Yeah, she did. So we called it. We called it as little little eleven year old. So, um, yeah. But predictions, we all go on big Wales win. Yeah. Oh, sorry, big South Africa win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just can't see replicating that performance. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think I'm we're like in agreement, aren't we? I think. Yeah, I like your wheels. And then just finally, <laughs> just wrapping up, um, apologies, kind of run out of time, so Scott didn't really get the throw they deserve, but to be fair, Gregor has openly said that he is a, on a development tour. Like, he's not taking Hogg and Russell. He's trying boys out. Um, you're me at Kinghorn, Harv. Uh, there's a lot of people saying, yeah, he's not a 10. I should have been saying for years. But different experiments like that. And fair play to Gregor. I, I think that test series is far from over because the game was close enough. But... Yeah, Scotland, you know, fair play. They've gone out there, they've been trying things. I don't think you'd be too critical. They didn't get hammered by Argentina, but they need to show a bit more and they need they need players to start putting pressure on the likes of Hogg and Russell, not just assuming these guys are here. So what's the point? I'm just going to enjoy the, the Argentinian sunshine and play these tests and then just go back to Edinburgh and Glasgow and never play for Scotland. Like, they, they need to have that culture of the jerseys are up for grabs. Peter Bracken's said Zach that genuinely you didn't know did you have your jersey so nah it's frustrating one for Scotland um, played some good stuff in pieces so there's plenty to build on so I'd, I'd like to see Scotland get a good at least one down there but we could be in for a whitewash some hemisphere whitewash which would be mad but France got France got the win over the odds Japan. Were on that. France got the win over Japan so uh, but that, France would play in the northern hemisphere so it doesn't really count does it no Still on. So that's what Stuart Barnes, I think it was Stuart Barnes, predicted in the Times. Southern Hemisphere whitewash. So who knows? Yeah, well, surely we, there'll be a win. I remember in November thinking like Northern Hemisphere is here. And I just think it's, <laughs> it, it's a fact, it's a fact of they come up to Northern Hemisphere, they get they get beat. We go down to some hemisphere, we get beat. Just yeah. the travel, the away fans, yeah, the home like fans is just... It's the same in cricket. Like, you're expected to win your own test. You know, Australia are expected to beat England or whoever because they know the environment. You know, the playing at home, the home kind of, the home fees, home crowds. It is what it is. But we'll see you next week. Yeah, and for just sure. finally, obviously, Harry Arundel won the prize for Star of the Week. and st- So, call it now. Where when we're on here next week, who has announced themselves or who what big player has had a big game? Um, nah, that doesn't make sense. I was just about to go for Billy Vinopola, but I said Australia win, so it doesn't really make sense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that in my head, then I was going to pluck out a random Irish guy, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I said New Zealand to win, so I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I said Ireland to win, so I'll go first. Uh, Guy Ringrose, okay. Big Gary. I think Gary's been decent, especially in the blue jersey. Played decent on Saturday, but I think I think there's another gear for him to find, and I think he's going to find it. He's always been he's been classed as Brian O'Driscoll's replacement for years, and now is the time to really show yes. the people that it's true. Harvey, um, it's going to be an England player because. I predicted that Wales are going to lose and Ireland are going to lose. And I'm not going to say a Scottish player so um, or a France player for that matter. So I think it's going to be... Look, in your head, you just want to say Henry, but it's just like we've chatted about him so much. I, yeah, do you put all the eggs in one basket? I don't think you do. Um, you can't rob a bank twice. But you can. It's just very hard to. <laughs> um I am deliberating on it for too long, but I'm going to say Genj. Mm. Yeah. Always one, one try, he'll go again. Yeah, my one is going to be come on, though, a bit of criticism after the first test. Uh, Keelan Doris, I think he's going to let everyone remember. And he's going to he's gonna go and look in Zach's drawer for the generational tag, which Zach hands out. <laughs> he's going to put it around his neck and go in the little generational group chat and get added to the WhatsApp group with you know, Curry, and, Curry and Smith and Aaron Dell's just got added in there and Zamet and all that boys <laughs> need an Irish boy in there then by the sounds of it yeah. um, Matt, Matt Gitto is the, the admin of the generational <laughs> group chat when he originally got added in back in 2003 
hopefully he keeps out of them boys but yeah we'll catch you next week boys um and anyone this this fun podcast remember to give us a follow on spotify at the top of the podcast twitter at rugby Telf, instagram at top of the podcast and we'll catch you next time cheers boys cheers, cheers.